Hello and welcome to the second episode of Losing Your Property Investor Cherry with me, Imran Locken. I do hope you've enjoyed the first episode with estate agent, come YouTuber, come property investor, Justin Wilkins, and that you're ready for another experienced investor to share their story on how they got started out in the world of property. For this episode, we've got another cracking guest in the form of Rob Jones, the founder of Property Investments UK. And hopping on a Zoom call in between meetings, Rob was a pleasure to talk to and he really provided some really great insight into his property journey, notes on the things that he would have done differently and how he overcame the difficulties with some troublesome tenants. So without further delay, let's get into episode two with Rob Jones. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Losing Your Property Investor Cherry with me, Imran Locken. Um, this week, I am being very gracefully uh, entertained by someone who could be known for being the Amazon for property investors, and I'm really fascinated to learn more about that today. So without further ado, I've got Robert Jones here with me. So Robert, come online, say hi. How are you doing? You well? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you, Imran. Thank you for having us. Hello, everyone. And uh, yeah, excited to... Um go through the, the series of questions that I'm sure we're going to go kind of cover on today. We are indeed, we are indeed. And obviously for, for everyone listening in, Robert and I had a brief chat just beforehand and uh, we talked about podcasts and the environment are going online and, and we both probably agree that it's not something we naturally do, is it? And, um, you know, but you've been dragged on today. I've dragged you on without it, whether you like it or not. Yes, that, that uh, anxiety of how is it going to kind of go? But no, they're, they're always they're always good to hear. I love podcasts. So it's um, from a listener's point of view that they're, they're awesome. That's good. You're in safe hands here. Don't worry. You're in safe hands, which Perfect. is good. So I think I think for the audience uh, and for people to understand, you know, who is Robert Jones? So tell me a brief bit about you, your background. Tell me more about you, Robert. Yeah. So I started uh, property 2005, so 16 years ago now, which seems kind of crazy. Um, and it's wow. always been UK. It's always been residential and primarily around the Northwest for my own property portfolio. But I've also worked with investors across the country um, and across the world. So we've had clients that are based um, in many different countries overseas that want to buy in the UK. And we've worked with them kind of throughout on, on different projects. So it's been quite a, um, a wide ranging journey, if it were. And I also kind of started in a state agency, um, have worked as a, a kind of a valuer for an estate agency, then source properties for myself. And as I mentioned, other investors portfolios, but that's also been across different property types as well. So we've done buy to lets, HMOs, service accommodation, um, flips, developments, a whole host of a whole host of things. Crikey. So you kept, certainly kept life in, uh, interesting. And um, you mentioned the word estate agency. So obviously that gives you, I guess, a, a great inroad. Um, is that where your sort of career started many years ago before you started investing? Uh, yeah. So it wasn't the first experience of property. I had um, a property that we purchased kind of myself and a partner back in 2005 and then started an estate agency sort of 2006. So it was a year later or so that I got into the estate agency world. But it was certainly the um, the foundation of training, let's say, that gave us some mm. actual experience of what the property market is like and uh, what the realities are really of buying and selling. So did you actually set up an agency? Was that where you went? Rather no, than... I, I was um, at the time I was working as a personal trainer and I wanted to have something a bit more kind of stable and also mm. as a kind of a pension plan, really. And, and that was never really on the cards as a, as a kind of fitness trainer, as a personal trainer. So we wanted to look at other ways to do that. Property felt like the natural fit. Um, and I had to start from the ground up. So when I first applied to work in a state agency, it was very much a trainee kind of sales negotiators role um, and then yep. just moved through the, the roles from there, really. And and um, you, you mentioned, obviously, uh, you know, property and you started this journey back in 2005. So um, 
tell us a bit more about sort of your background over your budget. You know, when you're looking at property back then, I mean, the market obviously in 2005 to 2021 was quite different. Um, The lending industry, I guess, was quite different as well. Back then, if I think back to that time, uh, the market was rising at that time, I think, from memory. Yeah, it was. And that was, um, I'm sure we'll touch on it in today's kind of podcast as well, Imran. But that was partly one of the reasons why we made quite a few mistakes on that first property, because you kind of especially from a timing point of view, when the market's hot and you want to get, if you're brand new to property, you want to kind of jump in. It's um, it's easy to kind of dismiss maybe some warning signs or it's easy to dismiss some valuations and kind of just go straight forward. So yeah, the first property we kind of bought wasn't, um, it, it was in a probably perceived easy market as in finance was accessible, um, certainly plenty of opportunities around, but also um, prices were uh, pretty kind of generous. So if you made a mistake, you could probably um, ride it for a little bit until obviously the music stopped a couple of years later. And then that, that was a, a change of industry or check, not change of industry, a change of um, situation as well. Absolute change of approach because then the, the fabulous 2007 8 came along and things did change in the market. So, and I'm fascinated to learn more about that today. It's going to be really, really interesting to hear sort of the, the experience you've been through. So, so let's talk about the, the budget. Let's think back to 2005. You're yep. going to go into your first deal. Um, you know, what was sort of the budget that you had in your mind? You're going to, you know, you get, you jumped out of PT, you, you know, you want to do something different in your life. Um, so did you sort of have capital? Did you raise funds? How did that sort of plan out in your mind? Yeah, it's so different compared to what we look at now and what we speak to kind of investors and clients about now. But at the time, it was essentially property looks like a good plan. And um, how much have we got to try and pull together? And what what property can we buy with that budget? Like there wasn't certainly a plan around property number two or three. There wasn't necessarily a plan around kind of refinancing and adding loads of value, although that was um, and could have been our angle because I'm sure again, we'll touch on it, but we did have um, some quite close connections that could have been a really good fit for that. We just didn't end up going down that path. So it was almost the decision was made to buy a property and then by the uh, time we did actually buy a property, it was probably too too quick. So we didn't take time to think and plan and uh, and create a strategy around it. It's just essentially, right, what budget could we pull together? And that was primarily from a little bit of savings, a little bit of salary, and um, kind of having very generous parents on, on both sides for myself and the partner that helped contribute towards the, uh, the property. And possibly thankfully as well, but being based in the Northwest, property prices weren't too terrible. So we had the ability to buy a property without it being um, a ridiculous price. Yeah, it tends to be probably the Northwest. It's a little bit cheaper than down here in Oxfordshire. And uh, yeah. it's a little bit pricey up here. You compare right. Oxford prices to London, um, if not a bit more in some cases. So uh, it's pretty shocking. The yields here are uh, relatively low. But you, you, yeah. you buy here for different reasons. It's a capital appreciation market sure. um, rather than, a, say, a cash flow market. So, so you sort of were keen you, you had some capital you had some savings um the beg and borrow of, of family is an important one you know friends yeah. and family first um to get started on the journey so what were you actually looking to invest in you know you had sort of a certain amount of capital to go yeah. you know was there a certain strategy that you were looking to deploy or was it i just want to get my first buy to let and get started uh, exactly that first buy to let let's get started let's find something that's local so where i was living at the time was um near Chester in the Northwest. My partner was living in Warrington and Warrington was quite a good area for rentals. The kind of market was pretty buoyant. It was an area that had a little bit more kind of experience about, and it was a a particular part of Warrington that was a fit for buying a property to rent out and within kind of our price range. Um, And that was essentially the strategy. We we weren't looking across the country and, and favoring other price ranges. It was essentially 
oh, it's on the doorstep um, if it's the uh, if it's the budget. So let's go for it. Excellent. That's good. And and I think being on your doorstep, a lot of investors and you've worked with clients obviously from all over the world. I suppose when you look back, you think I must buy local, I must buy local. But then I suppose today you're working with investors in different parts of the world. Um, has that changed your viewpoint on buying locally or not? Yeah, massively. I, and it's it's changed as well over the years. Around. So I've, when I first started, it was a case of looking at um, the pension plan and keeping things kind of hyper local. Then as you start to buy a few properties, you might consider diversification. So we started to look at other price ranges and other locations, just so we weren't heavily focused on just one area. And then as you start to kind of hit certain pain points, and that sometimes is number of properties, that sometimes kind of budgets, but when you've got more and more tenants and more and more questions around maintenance or management or um, just the ability to kind of scale, you then start to try and see if there's any efficiencies that you can kind of build in and going back then to having properties in certain locations helps. Um, but having a, a local profile initially was because I felt it was going to be easier. But then as you start to speak to more and more investors and you start to realize, actually, unless you're looking to be hands on on every single aspect. So if you're thinking of doing your own lettings and maintenance, then fair enough, you do want something that's going to be within a, a very close driving distance. But when you have a team that starts to manage those aspects for you, it becomes less of a, um, a relevance or less important, certainly to have them um, on your doorstep. It's not like uh, what my first instinct was, oh, I want to drive past and make sure it's still standing on a weekend type approach. But yeah, not, not necessarily required now. No, absolutely. You want to make sure the bins are put out on the right day of the week, basically, yeah. with your tenants in there and keep an eye on them, basically look, peer through the window and see how they're doing. Sort of thing. Yeah, it's so, crazy, isn't it? How you start. I know, I know. It's amazing how you start, like you said. So so in terms of your first investment, then, so did you end up going for that first buy to let? And, and talk me through it. Let, let's understand a bit more about the numbers, if that's OK. So tell yeah. me a bit more, if you can remember the purchase price and all that side of it. But yeah, uh, talk me through the first deal. Yeah, I can. And, and partly because it's, it kind of sticks in your mind almost as a bit of a learning curve um, and um, experience, if it were not to kind of repeat, not because it was a car crash of a deal, but because there's just very basic mistakes. And when you look back, it's like, well, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. or I definitely shouldn't have uh, approached it that way. So this particular property was a, um, a three bed mid terrace, 120K in Warrington. I can't remember the rentals at the time, but it was it was a relatively kind of active market. I think yields were possibly sort of six, seven percent ish. And the, the, the property itself was um, in very good condition. And we hadn't anticipated buying a property necessarily in good condition because my partner at the time, um, her family were um, skilled at doing refurbs and, and buildings. So they could have really helped out and their contacts could have really helped out with it. But it was that kind of property that you see and you fall in love with in terms of more kind of emotional homeowner type approach rather than yeah. investment approach. Um, and that's where it started to to kind of go a little bit awry on the uh, on the figures oh okay okay interesting so first deal was a three-bedroom mid-terrace about one hundred twenty thousand pounds purchase price but in yeah. good condition so nothing that needed work and as you mentioned you know and i've seen it over the years where we naturally walk into a property we start to emotionally fall in love with the building as if we're going to live there and, and, yeah. that, and that is a i think you will probably agree with me as an investor um, that's probably one of the worst things looking back that yeah. we should do because we have to be subjective. You yeah. know, this particular box has to produce a certain amount of return. And, and probably you and I today look back at the numbers and say, right, tell me the numbers. I need to understand fundamentally what's the market like, what's the demand like, what's my void rate like. We look yeah. at it so differently to, to back in 2005. So um, so we didn't really need much work. Did you need to do any refurb at all? Um, no, not really. So there was a couple of things once the, the, the original occupiers had kind of moved out, we took it over, but there wasn't anything kind of major. My friends and family kind of laugh at me now because I'm all over spreadsheets. Like if I'm looking at a deal now, like the figures 
absolutely kind of need to make sense for a whole host of reasons you kind of touched on there in terms of yields and voids and things but there's kind of so much other things that you might consider especially when you look at a portfolio approach as well um but there was no spreadsheet went near this property when we were looking at it so it's very much an approach of oh this looks like a, a really nice home on the kind of pictures and the description on, on right move i'm sure at the time and then when you start to actually go and have a look at it it was this particular um kind of property stood out for that very reason you know when you've got kind of stories of people baking bread in the oven and having kind of candles on and stuff when you go into yeah. it so it smells amazing and you walk into it and all the lights perfect it was exactly like that so when you kind of walk out of the viewing it's like oh this would be an amazing place to live so let's kind of buy it and we can't miss out so therefore we've got to pay whatever it takes to kind of get it and it's yeah it's just the from an investor's mindset now i look back and think so many things gone right gone, kind of gone wrong in that approach. <laughs> I, I bet the estate agent was rubbing his or her hands yeah. on the day you know looking at excitement they saw, saw you coming but again when you start out you, you, like you said earlier you take so many learnings from that first deal from that first investment and what you went through so talk me through then you bought the property I guess it didn't take too long to rent it out, I'm assuming, in the market at the time? No, it was quite good. And we, there was a couple of stories and experiences with that particular property um, where we didn't have a good run of tenants, actually. Um, but the mm. first tenants that we had at the property uh, yeah, moved in quite quick. So the turnaround was very slick. We, we bought the property. It was, as I said, it was in good condition. Not much kind of needed to be done to it. Um, rented it out. And then we were kind of off and, off and running, really, in the first property, kind of up and away. And it felt... A bit, a bit too easy uh, in terms of oh, okay, here is this what it takes to kind of buy a property? Because as I said, financing was easy at the time. Mm. Um, we didn't view thirty properties and put in thirty offers and, and ended up with kind of one property. So it's quite a, a smooth process. But again, looking back now, it's like mm, does it, there was a reason for that. <laughs> well, let, let, let's start talking about the reasons then, because you, you've mentioned this right at the beginning. There's a few sort of stories that have come out from this property and a few sort of takeaways. But what would you say if you had to pick out initially the biggest mistake with this first investment? Is there anything in particular that jumps out at you? Yeah, there's a list. But the, um, <laughs> the first the first one would be that emotional aspect of it, as in not getting too, too hung up on is this a property you would like to live in? Um, and therefore it's a good investment property because they, they can sometimes be aligned, but it, for sure it's not a, kind of a, a direct fit. Um, and for us, we bought it on that emotional reason. It was local. We knew it had a kind of a good potential for growth and a good potential for, for kind of tenants loosely. It wasn't uh, said, there's no spreadsheets gone near this property, but mm. there was a kind of a thought process around that. But then more specifically, as you then start to, I suppose, dig into the story. The emotional aspect was just the starting point, as in that got us to arrange the viewing. That got us to a stage where we really loved it after the viewing and then wanted to consider an offer. But it's the other, I suppose, learning curves rather than mistakes, I'd say, learning curves that kind of happen after that approach that you then start to, to think about. It's like, mm, okay, maybe that was kind of where it started to go wrong. And on this particular property, it was on the market for 120 it was a hot market. So properties were selling quick. And we knew that if we were going to be interested, we need to kind of put an offer in fast and, and try and get that accepted. And at the time, the seller had had a sale already going through. And the reason why it had come back on the market is because that buyer had pulled out. Agent had called oh. us, said, this property is available. Would you like to go and have a look at it? We looked at it, loved it, and wanted to kind of progress quite quick. So when we actually looked at the offer, in my mind, it was on the market for 120 because that's what we'd originally spoken about. 
but didn't then recheck, didn't have a look at any other figures. And when we put the offer in, it was a, I remember the conversation, it was, a, it, it was kind of looking at it and thinking, oh, we don't want to go too low because we're not going to get it accepted. And we don't want to kind of offer the asking price because that's not what you do in property. You, you try and get, a, get it a better, a better price, supposedly. So it was, where's that balance? And we offered 114,000 at the time and then got a call. Probably there's a slight exaggeration here, but 30 seconds later to say it had been accepted. So it's like, oh, maybe there's, maybe there's a, a kind of, yeah, a learning curve there that if they accept it that quick, then the, the, there's something really kind of a, a miss. Um, and then you kind of started to have a little bit of uh, kind of buyer's remorse very quickly because it's like, oh, first property, have we bought the right property? Have we made the right decision? Um, and then looked back at the listing and it was on the market for 115,000. So they changed the price in between it kind of going on the market originally and coming back on the market and reduced it to try and achieve a quick sale. Um, but we just weren't aware. So we thought it was on the market for 120, offered 114, thinking it was not a, not a kind of a steal, but a slightly better purchase price than paying the asking price. And it was yeah. essentially asking price. It was like a thousand pound below. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't the deal of the century. Let's put it like they, that. They bit your left and right arm off for that yeah. offer, didn't they? The yeah, it was like, yeah, so... we'll, we'll put this offer forward to the vendor and see what they say. And yeah, they're going to say yes. <laughs> like, did did you ever on. hear or know why the previous buyer pulled out or what happened or why it fell through? Did you ever hear anything about why No, I can't remember. There wasn't any issues with the property. Like we, it was plain sailing from our side, like survey was easy. Um, so I don't know if it was a personal reason from the buyer or if it was a chain possibly because mm. the, the the property although it was a, a mid terrace it was still a decent size so it might have been a, a kind of a chain involved in it, I'm not sure but um, it wasn't from memory anything down to the particular property thankfully yeah yeah but like you said it's interesting when the, when the agent calls back okay you missed you accelerate maybe 30 seconds but maybe it was a minute but yeah. when you get that that sort of call straight away the office accepted you do sort of I naturally feel that where you go oh did I offer too much? You know, should, yeah. I, should I retract my offer and start again? But again, the agent doesn't really want you to retract your offer. They want you to go with where, you, where you're comfortable at, right? Yeah, it's so, a very um, weird feeling because it's a, mm -hmm. a mix of excitement because you know you've got it accepted and all of the things you had planned for it to kind of regret because it's instantly, it's like, yeah, have I offered too much? And then you've got this loop going around in the back of your mind as to did you make kind of the right decision? But yeah, ultimately it was decision made and, and progress forward. It is a bit of an emotional roller coaster, isn't it? You know, when you can first go into your first deal, especially with what you were going through then, because emotionally you were starting by falling in love with that property at the time as yeah. well. So, so, so that was your biggest mistake initially. What other things, as time went on, you went through the purchase process. Um, were there things that were popping up during the purchase process as well? Um, no, we had a quite from memory. We had a quite a smooth approach with it. So, conveyancing. And again, sometimes this could be a red flag. Like, why is it so quick? <laughs> why is it so simple? Like, is there something that's been missed rather than actually is everything perfect? Um, but that, no, thankfully on that particular property, there wasn't any major issues with it. It was quite straightforward. Um, but there was certainly a learning curve of the process. So what, what, what happens after you get an offer accepted? What happens for financing, for conveyancing? What a search is all about when you kind of get those first searches through and it's a, a report from your, your solicitor that says some information on it, but it means nothing to you as a buyer when you're first kind of looking at buying a property. So it's trying to demystify that whole approach and, mm. and try and make sure that it makes sense to you. And, and when you've got more experience under you about whether that's years or, or number of properties purchased, um, that becomes kind of second nature. But when it's your first property, yeah, there's so many things going around in your head as to is this kind of because it's a big decision of course you've got kind of a lot a lot riding on it financially it's a big investment um, and for many it's either an approach that's going to 
cover income or pension um, or it's a career move. So you want to make sure that it's the right move for you and that you, yeah, you've considered all of the different kind of options and yeah, it's a big, a, a big, uh, a big situation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so talk me through any other challenges Was there anything else you mentioned tenants um, and, you know, often, you know, we talk, we, you and I talk to many investors, other investors and developers. Um, some tenants are great. Yeah. Other tenants can, there can be challenges. And yeah. obviously we're in a time at the moment where, you know, evicting tenants is that bit more, a little bit more challenging at the moment because of what's happened with COVID. But back then, were there issues with tenants? Were you self-managing the property or yeah. the, outsourcing that? Um, both of those. So we had issues with tenants <laughs> and we were self-managing. Um, and usually they come together as well as a package, we found. So uh, that's probably one of the learnings that I didn't... Um, I didn't take to, to kind of heart if it were at the beginning because we continue to self-manage and then properties that I purchased after the fact a couple of years later, for example, um, again, we could kind of continue to self-manage and there's different reasons for that. Sometimes it's because you genuinely think you can do a better job than the letting agent. Um, maybe you've not got any great letting agents near you. Maybe you, you're exceptional at um, people skills and you really want to kind of have that relationship with the tenant. That's all good. Um, but it's a very complex area. There's lots of legislation. There's lots of regulation, things that you need to consider, lots of moving parts. Um, and that can sometimes be just either the management of it, but then finding the tenant is a whole other ballpark as well. And at the time, we did have a, a, an element of a system in place in terms of, oh, we were going to make sure that the tenant had a certain income or a certain job or certain references. Um, but by no means was it a um, slick process and foolproof because we did have a run of, um, of interest in tenants in the property. No major issues. Like looking back now, we've had experiences that are, are much different, let's say, with kind of tenants. And you start to realize that sometimes tenants do fall into scenarios where they can't pay the rent. But that's manageable. Like if you're speaking with the tenant, you have a decent relationship with them, you can navigate that process. Um, but there's plenty of other stories that you could speak to a uh, hundred different investors and they'd all have different stories, I'm sure, of, of how they found um, relationships and, and life with tenants. And by nature of building a portfolio, you're going to kind of have that. But in the grand scheme of things, our difficulties with tenants at the time were, were tending to be related to affordability. Um, and that left us in a situation where we had a few months we weren't getting rental income or a few months where it was delayed and it was a bit kind of bitty in terms of some money coming in and, and, and not the whole rent. And if you're like we were very um, tight in terms of financially on the property, like we didn't, as I said, we didn't have a forecast and a spreadsheet and a budget and a, um, a safety net. So the money coming in made all the difference, like a, a month's worth of missing rent was a, was a little bit of a nightmare at the time. So those learning curves kind of going forward now we use management for, for kind of all our properties um for a host of reasons but it's uh, a much simpler process shall we say when you've got experts working for you in each of those stages and lettings is one of those yeah absolutely absolutely and, and you mentioned you know that that loss of rent and how um you know that can hurt oh, at the beginning yeah. of a journey how that you know, financially can hurt you because you might be relying on that income or if there's no rent coming in you've still got a, a mortgage to outlay each month you know from yeah. that point of view so um how did that were there times where you thought okay i'm going to give up after the first deal you know did you and your partner at that time you know how are you feeling yeah no it wasn't thankfully and um, might be in a bit different position if we did so yeah thankfully it kind of wasn't i'm glad that we we, we didn't throw in the, the, the towel if it were at the time but 
the next kind of experience with buying properties was a year or so later when I started working for the estate agency. Um, so it hadn't um, completely, I suppose, blown out the, the, the kind of the candle of interest in, in, in property, if it were at the time, thankfully. So when I um, had those learning curves, I think, and it's possibly more, more speaks towards just my view on, on certain things rather than looking at it as, yeah, this is kind of terrible and it's a car crash and we've got all of these problems. It's more about how do we make it better? So how do we kind of learn more, fix the issues that we've got, um, speak to people that have better skill sets than us, use experts, and then starting to then follow that train of thought. And that led to the, the, the kind of the experience of then saying, okay, well, let's go and work for an estate agency because I'll learn more about the buying and selling process. And, and even knew at the time, like kind of deep down, you have that kind of gut instinct, especially after the purchase of maybe we'd pay too much for that property, or maybe we could have got a better property at a better price. Um, and that's why we looked at the estate kind of, why I looked at the estate agency uh, kind of route at the time, because it was, how do you kind of improve that knowledge? Um, so yeah, thankfully a few mistakes, but no, nothing to, to kind of throw us off. No, nothing too, nothing, no, nothing too car crash, you know, nothing yeah. too car crashes. Uh, so, so in summary, a bit of a, a bit of emotion, you know, a few challenges along the way in terms of, do I self-manage, do I, do I outsource the management and working with experts you're saying is obviously always a, a good thing to do. And, you know, and, and like I said, it actually gave you the opportunity to go in and basically get yourself a bit more educated by being as part of this, being an estate agent meant you learn hands-on yeah. um, how, like you said, you can buy and sell, which I think is a great, great thing to do. Overall, would you say that the, the property was profitable for you though in the, in the overall scheme of things? It wasn't a loss. So it, it kind of broke even in terms of um, when we sold that property or I sold kind of my um, share in that property, and you consider all costs and rental income, things like that, it, it was essentially break even. So there wasn't mm -hmm. a, um, a party after it where, where we had a load of kind of cash and could go and celebrate. But thankfully, it wasn't like a commiseration either. It was, it, it was quite straightforward. But the learnings of that experience definitely helped. Um, and you mentioned there, Imran, in terms of like what, what, what if you could distill it down into maybe one thing or a few things that you kind of learned from that approach. One of the areas that I'm probably grateful of actually that we didn't go through at the time was a refurbishment because there's all these moving parts within buying a property especially when it's your first property and, and it's a big learning curve and the learning curves that we had were around finding the property buying it for the right price negotiating and the letting side of it and then to add into that mix of refurbishments as well um, if that if we'd done the refurbishment on a property and it was an extensive refurbishment and that had gone wrong, then that might have tipped me over the edge and be like, mm, maybe maybe property's not for me because if you get every single aspect of it wrong, then you're probably a bit disheartened. Um, so thankfully on that property, it was quite straightforward. And since then we've done refurbishments and they've for sure been uh, testing and hard work. Um, but because I'm confident in other aspects of the buying and selling process it, it's less of an issue so yeah maybe uh maybe dodged a bullet there and by buying a property that was relatively straightforward actually helped in, in a lot of ways and that's the thing there are always some positives and, and okay learnings are a blessing they're, they're things that you can take away from the opportunity and as you mentioned you, you mentioned obviously that family and friends that were in the industry and trades yeah and again from the emotional side yes it's great to get them in and to help you but again there could be you know when you're trying to get the, the work done yeah you know if they're doing this alongside of the project you know to help you out and keep costs down you Definitely. might be keen to get the work done but then you sort of don't want to push too hard because it's a, a friend or family member so Definitely. um so you're absolutely right you probably you probably dodged a bit of a a bit on that one which is good so so i'm great learnings and i really appreciate you, you sharing um more about the experience you know um 
you know, it wasn't a loss leader at the end of the day. And yeah. it got you started in 2005, which, again, was a very, very unique time in the marketplace. Um, uh, one question just briefly on finance. I mean, I guess you said about financing being really yeah. easy. Um, I just think for the benefit of all the listeners in um, getting a mortgage back then in 2005 was quite an easy process. Would that be a fair comment? Uh, yeah, like I was coming into it with no context in terms of what getting finance or mortgages should be like or what the norm might be so and uh, now for example i know the process of getting finance a whole lot more than how it was at the time um, and for us it was straightforward as in we've got this property we'd like to buy it here's the deposit great that the, there's financing options and you can choose this lender and these products there wasn't really a um a nervousness so we say in terms of raising finance but when you look back like I was trying to think of age time. So yeah, early twenties, the first kind of property I'd ever bought. So no experience in buy to let, which is, is fair enough. It can be still be quite straightforward, but didn't have like a great paying job. Didn't have like 10 years of uh, kind of working for one company in a really stable income. It was quite a, um, an unstable kind of salary and, 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 and job at the time. So when you kind of consider all of that, all of those different kind of moving parts, getting finance for what was our, our first kind of property was a straightforward process. And I can imagine um, if that was, again, more difficult, um, it would have forced us to look at different types of stuff. So maybe slightly lower prices, slightly different locations, um, slightly different uh, tenant types, maybe slightly different sizes of properties. And it would have changed the dynamic of the, the first property mm. that we did buy. So, um, yeah, it's a, a combination of factors, but financing at the time was uh, relatively straightforward thankfully yeah the banks were well, i'm not saying giving it away but it was a much more easier process i feel to to where we are today they're certainly asking a lot more of investors when you're starting out because some, some investors today they're still asking that you are a homeowner first before taking on your first buy to let so it's yeah. very different to where where you were in 2005 so so i mean that that's great it's a really great summary in terms of where you are and the learnings there are amazing i mean so tell me more about what you're doing now where where is robert jones today in the world yeah, and I think this is this is definitely a combination of life experiences up until kind of where we are today as to fixing kind of problems that you come across or experiences that you find that um, can be improved uh, and also trying to reduce or remove all of those um, pain points, frictions, risks where you can within that kind of buying property buying process. So I suppose uh, fast forward to where we are today, over those years, I've done all different types of properties as you said we've done buy to lets service accommodation hmos refurbs flips and my personal preference for my own portfolio is is relatively um stable as in i quite like straightforward buy to lets um other people like maybe a particular uh, funky strategy because it, it allows you to increase yields or allows you to kind of really accelerate your growth of your portfolio which i get and i've done that and i've gone through those sort of phases and where we're at now it's it, it, the kind of the preference is mainstream buy to let but also that is the experience of the majority as well there's certainly plenty of investors out there and plenty of outliers out there that do do large-scale developments or do do conversions or planning gains or um maybe something that's a bit more sexy from a rental strategy point of view rather than the straightforward buy to let and um, but we get lots of inquiries from investors uh, as we've kind of grown the businesses for different types of properties. And that led to essentially what we kind of looked to create with property.xyz, which was something that would help for the majority, not just a small kind of group of investors, um, but really smooth that whole process. And, and many of the challenges that we've come across over the years has been 
finding one consistent stock and especially in the current market where it's really um really active how do you find that regular supply of, of good property opportunities um then once you've found it how do you research it how do you make sure it's the right deal um you might know an area and you don't need to check anything more in the area that's great but you still need to dig down into the property um and even if you don't know the area how do you compare maybe one location to another or how do you find information out about a, a new location that you're maybe considering and they were the challenges that we were getting asked regularly from investors all around the world wanting to buy kind of in the uk and a, a real diverse mix of viewpoints like people that have hundreds of thousands to millions to invest compared to people that have a deposit for their first property to kind of buy through to people wanting refurbishments and people wanting something that's already tenanted ready to go simple straightforward full management in place and and what we wanted to create with property xyz was a central platform that provides all of that for free so from an investor's point of view there's no cost it provides it very simply so a couple of clicks or a couple of searches you can find information on a property information on an area and also properties for sale um, that, that fit your kind of criteria that align with how you would like to search. So if you're an investor that's focused on yield, great, you can find properties and filter and sort by properties that are yield focused. If you're an investor that focuses more on capital growth, um, I'm sure that's the, the kind of the, the Oxford investors of the yeah, world in terms is. of location, uh, <laughs> then, then great, you've got a, a, a location that can um, give you a lot of potential over, over the longer term. But trying to pull out those potential properties is difficult on the traditional portals. Um, so we wanted to create something that was focused for investors, and that's essentially what property.xyz is. And, and then the, the roadmap, if it were, of features and data and, and everything we want to create on the site is a location that's also seamless and frictionless from a buying process. So you find mm -hmm. the property, then giving you the ability to register, to bid, to buy, and then track that sale all the way through to completion. That's the that, that's kind of the dream, and that's where we want to head. And that's where the, the kind of the Amazon, if it were, of property investment kind of comes in, because that frictionless simple nature of being able to just buy something that works for you it's the right criteria um doesn't really exist in the property market and that's what we wanted to try and create and it's a very complex task there's so many moving parts there's so many stakeholders so so many different data sets that it's not a, a unfortunately a, a challenge it can kind of happen overnight there's a, a big old roadmap there that, that requires to, to kind of chase down to, to achieve it but where we're currently at at the moment and where we're kind of headed it, it, yeah, it's really exciting I mean, that sounds amazing. And I like the mission that you're on um, because I, I remember speaking to uh, an agent the other day for a site we're acquiring at the moment to build a new build dwelling yeah. um, with planning. And, um, you know, the, the concern that, you know, they have, obviously the searches aren't going to come back from the local authority until the end of June. Yeah. You know, but obviously keen Crazy. for the, the deal to go through quite soon. So again, there is a slightly archaic system in the marketplace today with buying property. And I think yeah. if you can take uh if you can somehow pick up that phone and turn it into an amazon one click and yeah. the purchase process can be streamlined i think it's a great mission to have so and it's interesting if you think back to that first property that you acquired did you think that you know 28 i think it's 2018 that you started doing this so from 2005 2018 did you think you'd see yourself creating something that would try and help other people go into the go into this journey uh I'd love to say yes, but the, the reality is probably no. And, it, it is, and it, not in as much as because I, I had a, a particular vision of wanting to change the world. But at the time, early 20s, property was a pension plan. And if I had a couple of properties, in my mind, that was good. Like I'm, I've, I've made it, we've achieved the kind of the goal we wanted to do, you can live the life you want and everything's good. And then when you hit those milestones, 
the, the kind of the goalposts always change. Like you, you, you achieve something that's great. And that, that, that speaks to, to I'm sure anybody who's listening, if they're competitive or if they're wanting to strive and achieve things in life, it's very difficult to just achieve it and then sit back and, and, and enjoy it. You're constantly pushing for, for kind of more and more. And it's not necessarily um, financially motivated. It could be for a whole host of reasons, but when we started to, to kind of hit these milestones, then it's, it becomes more of, how can you improve the process? How can you make it simpler, both for you and, and colleagues and for the wider pool of stakeholders, then for investors and then for everybody else? And when you start to see the opportunity, and I'm not technical, like I'm not a, a, a developer by any stretch of the imagination. You don't want me kind of coding a, a website at all. But when I started to speak to people in that space and you see what's possible in terms of data sets and uh, mapping and how the UK is kind of headed, it's really exciting. And that's kind of what drove us to create kind of property XYZ that could be something more than just a, um, a property search portal that could be more than just um, data it, is to try and really simplify that whole process. And there's lots of other things that we'd like to do as well as, as part of that, like the property market in the UK for a host of reasons is complex and fragmented and, and simplifying that helps, but also just providing accommodation to people in the right places in the right ways um, is really important as well like housing is it's so so much of a, a kind of a, a human need in terms of it touches obviously for every single person kind of on the planet you need to make sure that kind of um, exists so there's things that we've spoken about as a company that we'd love to do as well which becomes quite exciting when you can start to um, see those opportunities opening up that would for sure align with helping kind of the the wider um wider population if it were and yeah there's the, the stuff that i'd love to kind of touch on and but we're, we're miles away from from achieving those kind of goals yeah it's one thing at a time now i am sorry to interrupt this episode but we wanted to offer you a free property investment support session with me imran locken so if you're starting out on your property journey and you're looking for a bit of advice or you're considering a property education program or want help finding your next investment, please pop me a message at modus-academy.com or call our property investment support team on 01993-225-030. Anyway, back to the episode. So, so lastly, I mean, there are sort of any opportunities you mentioned about sort of the solid and stable buy selects that you continue to do that and do that today. But is there sort of any types of property opportunities that you're using obviously your own tool for to help find opportunities? But is there any particular strategy or opportunities that you're focusing on at the moment? Yeah, so I'm a big kind of um, believer in, in the numbers and the uh, like spreadsheets and stuff now when it comes to looking at deals. But what works for us is as I said is very kind of straightforward and basic and, and vanilla. Um, and Property XYZ is great for finding those opportunities. But what we get asked constantly as well is things that are, are more unusual. And that could be things that have planning gain, for example, or that could be properties that are um, off market and are an opportunity before it goes to maybe an auction or before it goes to a high street estate agency. Um, and there's lots of stuff we're looking at there. There's lots of conversations we're having when there's lots of different data sets that we're looking at. There's lots of different ways that we can try and uh, simplify that process to ultimately provide uh, a platform and a, a kind of an off-market approach to finding opportunities for investors as well which is really exciting it's a again that's it's quite a tough nut to, to kind of crack but we're, we're relatively close on that and if we've got then the ability for an investor to find their perfect property um that's great like it doesn't matter 
necessarily if that's on market or off market because everybody's different. Doesn't matter if it's high or low price point, high or low yield. Everybody has their own criteria. But for us, our, our kind of internal metric, if it were, is can we speed up that timeline of of a of a buyer being able to find, research, buy, and then purchase their their kind of dream property investment really. And if we can kind of help with that at each stage, then then we've kind of achieved our goal. So it's trying to improve all of those different um all those different kind of parts of that user journey. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Robert, I must say, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear about your experiences in your journey and um and what the first investment was like to where you are today and what you're doing to try and help um create the Amazon of property investment. So um I look forward to hearing more of that journey. We'll definitely have to get you back on at some point if that's okay. Yeah, thank you. Love to. Wow. And just like that, we've come to the end of episode two. And a massive thank you to you, Rob, for fitting us into your tightly packed schedule. I do really appreciate you taking the time out and we can't wait to have you back in the future. Anyway, if you've really enjoyed listening into this show, please subscribe and please share this podcast with your friends, colleagues, and even your enemies if you'd like to. But as always, if you're looking for further support on your property investment journey, you can contact me at modus-academy.com where you can book in a chat with myself to discover more of the exciting property investment programs and opportunities to help you build a property portfolio. And be sure to join us again in a couple of weeks where we've got another trailblazing guest lined up to talk about popping their property investor cherry. Thank <laughs> you.